All right, so in the studio we have Thomas Paine, Prison to Promise, the original gangster, Tales <laughs> from the Crypt, <laughs> Tales of Redemption, and Amy Brewer, Mayor of Lebanon. Now, we've told you a little bit about our background. Now, hopefully you have subscribed podcast two. Here we go. So, Thomas, tell me a little bit about yourself. Before we get into what you're doing, tell me a little bit about yourself. What Number one, when did you graduate high school? I came out of high school in 1983. And where did you go? I went to Lebanon High School. I um, all black school, right? Oh man, it was it was so black out that I stuck out. <laughs> <laughs> you white guy, you. exactly. <laughs> so so we're we're talking about things obviously when we're setting it up for a reason, and people need to understand like you know the stories that we have now. People don't understand the backstories as to how we got here. That's why I bring this stuff up. So when we're talking about your high school experience, you're surrounded by a bunch of co-equal people of your color, or is it a little bit? differently back then well it was a whole lot different back then there wasn't many black people that that was in lebanon high school mm-hmm. and uh you know i was a standout athlete so you know i kind of got a little special treatment mm-hmm. you know because of my athletic ability and um you know i was a star player football basketball and track the One, boy can run give uh, him the ball yeah oh yeah i can run good run <laughs> it might run around you i might run over you depends <laughs> on how i felt that day so you're a small fella how tall are you i'm six two okay and back then what was your Height, weight, six two. I, back in high school, I was like six one, but I, when I played football, I was like uh, one hundred ninety pounds running back. Mm-hmm. Then I, uh, I had a, in basketball. I just had a good jumping ability, shooting good, rebound, block shots. You know, I could touch the top of the square on the vertical jump back in the high school. Wow. Yeah, and um, and then in track, you know, I used to, you know, was the anchor of, of a four hundred relay. Um, then I did the four hundred medley. Now, and, the anchor, that's the one that finishes yeah, out, Yeah, it finishes right? up the race. You know, mm-hmm. you're the fast one. You've mm-hmm. you got to come in and make up for lost time. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, you know, I, I excelled in sports. Sports was my life. That, that's what I loved. I got to got, – and they called me STP in high school, Super Tom Payne. Super Tom yeah, Payne. Yeah, Super Tom Payne. I was like the motor oil, make everything run smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys want your T-shirts, we'll have them printed up. STP, <laughs> STP. Super Tom Payne. And don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, high school years was good. All the way up to what year? I mean, let's stay on the good side of things. So it's good up until what point? Up to my uh, senior year. Okay, so up till this point, you've had success. Yeah. uh, Teachers, uh, relationship, has that been good? Uh, Teachers really didn't. They they really, they, they, uh, the teachers, they they was good to a degree. Uh To a degree, you know, because I was an athlete, they, uh, they really didn't. They really didn't try to really lead me in the right way. When you say that, that's going to the negative side. But is there any positive sides for, from Lebanon that you can recall, like this one specific teacher or this one course or this coach or anything like that? No. Okay. So your whole perspective is it was challenging. Oh, it was very challenging. Okay. It was very challenging. All right. So your parents, uh, both alive? No. Um, I, my mother, she passed in 1997. And um, that that was the that that was really one of my turning points in life. But she was alive during high school. Yeah. Oh yeah. She okay, was so very supportive. Was your dad in high school? No, my dad was never in the picture. Okay. Totally. Do you know him or? Yeah, I know him. Okay, but yeah. he's never been involved. No, he's never been involved. How many siblings? I got uh, three brothers. I mean, two brothers and a sister. And your brothers are older, or younger. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest. So they're all younger than you. So that when you were a senior, what grade levels were they? Just when off I was, top of your head. When I was a senior, I had a brother that was, uh, I think, a freshman. 
And then I had another brother that was, he was probably in junior high when I was a Okay, so junior high and going into high school. Yeah. And then your sister? And she was, uh, I think she was, I think she was around a freshman, a freshman. My brother, I think, was a sophomore. My sister was a freshman. Okay, so she is she baby girl? Is she the baby? Yeah, no, she's the, the third child. Third child, yeah. yeah. Okay, so mom's alive. You got three siblings under you. Yeah. And you're the leader and you're standing out in sports. Yes. Do they get treated any different, do you know of? Well, yeah, they got treated. They got treated good because you know people wanted to make me happy. Uh-huh. So they treated my my family good. Also, you know, I had people coming to the house. One person even offered my mom to to buy me as much as it sounds crazy as it is, but you know, back in the day, you know, they wanted to buy me just so you know they can you know help better me. But you know, my mom wasn't going. When for When you that. say buy me, like like actually give my mom some money to have me come and live with them and take care of my mom. Oh really? Yeah. Just to help you personally? No, or? just uh basically just to, you know, say that they're doing something. It wasn't really to help me. I mean, they cuz I was good in sports, everybody wanted to be a part of. It. When you when you're on top, everybody wants a piece of you. I got you. Yeah. I got you. And that that's your mindset. Obviously nobody come out and told you that, but that's your thought process. Exactly, that's mine. Okay, and what did your mom think about that? She told him to get the hell out of her house. <laughs> That's what she said. So she's the original gangster. Oh, for real, yeah. She started this OG thing. <laughs> what what part of Lebanon did you grow up in? I grew up on uh, Pleasant Street, down and by uh, uh, Pleasant Street Park. Okay. Yeah, and, down by the post office now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the uh, area that's being developed currently, is that part of the area? That will be there. There is going to be some development in that area, a lot of Homes have been um, restored, renovated. Yeah. So tell me uh, about that neighborhood. You know, you can speak as a mayor, and you were around back. Or were you around back when he graduated high school? No, not at all. I was. Um, I was definitely not even in the state at the time. Okay. I've been here in Lebanon since December of '85 with my family. So when he was growing up, um, I was I was not around at all, and I really didn't know much about Lebanon at the time. As I said, I grew up in Cincinnati, and did I come visit um, Lebanon sometimes? Don't even recall. Uh, Life was busy back home and then headed to college and grad school. So Lebanon was never on my radar at the time when when he was. And obviously, um, I'm older, Mm -hmm. so um, my time in high school, uh, just a different path and time frame. Right. So around that time frame, actually, uh, 1978, Harper Valley PTA is being filmed here in Lebanon. I only remember that because my mom took us to the drive-thru to see that. And later, when somebody said it was filmed here, I had to look it up. So at that time, you were, what, about 15 years old yeah, or so? about 15, yeah. What was the culture like around there? Well, at that time, it, it was it was all right. When Harper Valley PTA was, was being filmed, everybody was trying to be a part of it, you <laughs> know, because I had know they had one part where a lot of people was running to the window at the uh, at the junior high school or mm-hmm. something very middle at the time mm-hmm. and everybody just wanted to at least be in that clip mm-hmm. you know but a couple people got in it but you know not many but you know it, it was a good time around that time you know it was because we yeah, at 15 years old you know you have no worries you have no stressors so you don't see what's really going on in the world you're just a kid having fun right that's barbara eden coming to your town i dream of genie yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
So around that time, so you're you're over by the post office, which is not too far from where that movie's being filmed Correct. and all that stuff. So the lifestyle around that time, they're they're portraying it. I, I forget how the movie goes. Basically, it was a comedy in, in reference to, you know, her kind of getting fed up with the school board and uh-huh. some of the stuff that was going on. And we can probably all relate to that at some point during our careers yeah. uh, that we get frustrated with uh, people in political office. Oh, no comment, no comment, no comment. Really? Weird silence. Weird silence right there. No comment. <laughs> so you're getting frustrated for different reasons other than political reasons, right? You're getting yeah. frustrated. You're getting in your teen years and 15 and you're starting to see things, right? right. So tell me what you're experiencing in the later part of your uh, academic career. Well the, well, the later parts of my, of my athletic career or my academic career, I just started um, – Really seeing, you know, who was with you and who was against you. Mm-hmm. It started being more blatant as I got older and, and my eyes started getting open to a whole lot of different scenarios. You know, being in a small town, white town is this majority white. I mean, you wherever you go, you stick out. Right. And, you know, you know, you have been called names, you know, and and all that when you walk in. And, you know, it's just it's just a it was a bad time for mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, you really just just let it roll off your shoulders, mm-hmm. you know? But then if you catch him at school, you know, you might rough him up a little bit, you know, from calling your name, you know, a couple of days ago. But, uh, you know, it was just a, it, it was just a, a really kind of uncomfortable time. For Did me. you feel like you were kind of popular at the same time that you were segregated? Oh, I was, yep. That's, that's where I saying I was popular, but then, you know, again, I was segregated. Right. Yeah. Right. That I have, I have a biracial son and he kind of feels the same, you know, yeah. he goes to Lebanon and he's been picked on and, you know, people trying to fit in, you know, kids are kids and they tell off, uh, you know, comments or make off comment mm-hmm. remarks or tell jokes that they probably shouldn't tell, but they're, in my white mind, right. <laughs> my Caucasian mind, it's like, how do I relate to you? Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something funny. And hopefully you think it's funny and it's, and it's not, yeah, it's yeah. taken wrong or whatever. So part of the education that I've had is, you know, my son, you know, when I describe somebody, Hey, uh, that, that black kid going there, you see him, doesn't he look, doesn't his hair look good or whatever. Dad, why, why did you call him black? Right. Well, that was the quickest way because he was the only black guy there. Right. <laughs> it was the quickest way to identify him. But he's tuned me into the fact, why didn't you just call him the kid with the blue shirt on? Right. And it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, because we're all grown up to right. say, you know, the identifiers. See the tall guy? See the fat guy? See the short guy? See, right. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily a racial comment, but it can be taken, can taken that them. way easy if you don't have the mindset. Right. Of that. So in all innocence, and I think, you know, people are so offended nowadays at things that they shouldn't be offended in because what is meant innocent sometimes is being taken so to the extreme because we've been kind of uh, made to believe that everybody's against you. Yeah. You know, everybody seemed like everybody is then got soft. I'm just going to put it like that. I mean, everybody done got soft. Come on, OG. Yeah. I'm just going to put it like it is. They done got soft and they just don't want to face the face the truth. Mm-hmm. No one wants to face the truth. Everybody wants to live in a fairy tale world when, you know, it's not a fairy tale world no more. It's, huh? it's a real thing that's going on out there. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get too far off topic, which I think we went down a little yeah, rabbit trail yeah. there, your, your uh, background during this time, the 15 year old kid, the 16 year old kid, the 17 year old kid. Now you're starting to get to the end of your athletic uh, portion in Lebanon. Tell us what transpired during that time. Well, at the end of my, uh, my um, athletic career in Lebanon, 
After a football game one night, I got caught with a with a white cheerleader that I was sneaking around dating. Uh-oh. Oh yeah, yeah, boy. <laughs> and then at that so time, so you're an OG player. Yeah, oh, well, I thought I was. I was OG non player after that time. After, <laughs> after everything went down, <laughs> you're you know, off the team. Off the team, out of school. Oh no. I mean, it was it was horrible, and that's when my life. Went from sugar to shit, to be honest. So during that time when you say you got caught, I mean, is this like a compromised position or is this just like, we don't like you being around our daughter? Well, it was like, we don't like you being around our daughter and and we're not having it and, you know, we're going to dispose of you. So the community that was there to help you succeed because you were doing great in athleticism is now saying <laughs> they went, they turned against me. Okay. All the, of them. All of them? Uh, everybody, except for maybe a, a a couple guys. Like one guy I can remember named Chuck Shoop. Uh-huh. He was always coming to the – once I got kicked out of school, he was always coming to the neighborhood looking when, for me. When you say kicked out of school, did they say, here's your – I mean, you can't graduate? You can't – Oh, no, I couldn't graduate. I couldn't even go to no team functions. I mean, they disposed of me. Well, you, I mean, you were a senior? Yeah. What – part of the senior year it was a uh, uh, football season so the, the, i got uh, i couldn't even play the last game of the football season oh no yeah were you guys pretty good that then? oh yeah we only lost i mean we was going to go probably to the playoffs anyway because we always went to the playoffs i think i think only lost like in football maybe like three games in my whole high school career wow yeah we was we was always good. a little different than it is now yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah a whole lot different <laughs> Okay, so now you're kicked off, and now you're seeing your friends play, or did you go to the game? I couldn't go to the games. You totally kicked off. Kicked off, yeah. I couldn't even go to the games. So could you walk in graduation? No. No, they they uh, actually in graduation, they told me that I couldn't graduate. Mysteriously, I was a half a credit short. Oh, no. That's what they told yeah. So, so now you're totally kicked out. You have no social life at school. Right. So now where do you turn? I turn to the streets. How I, so? I, I started – Getting in and selling drugs. At the post office? <laughs> no, the post office wasn't there, thank goodness. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just started selling drugs and just hanging out with the guys in the street that was that was going nowhere. And that just became my life. And then, you know, I wanted that same fire and that glory and the fame as I had on the field, or on the court, or on the track. So you needed cheerleaders. Yeah, I needed cheerleaders. Everybody does, right? Yeah. You know, and I had none, but when I was selling drugs, the same ones that was cheering for me in the crowd – now they was, you know, coming to me for the drugs too. So I still had a little bit of that satisfaction. Wait, so the people that were cheering for you is now yeah. the ones that are buying from you? Oh yeah, even though they know your story that you're kicked out of high school. Yeah, they don't care. You know, drug, drug drugs ain't got no limit. They <laughs> they don't they don't care. You know, if you got the drugs, you know they're they're coming. Now are we talking about weed? That's probably not even. Well, a at that time, anymore? yeah. At that time, it was it was like weed and and. Um, uh, like acid, you know, mm-hmm. back in them Eminem eras, you know, and, and like, how does an 18 year old get a hold of that to sell it? Oh man. you Back in a, that time, back in that time, it was easier really than it is now, you know, because you know, you know, especially when you're an athlete, a star athlete, I mean, you know, everybody, everybody wants to be your friend, mm-hmm. you know, so it's easy to get drugs when you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest part of it. It's amazing that you say that because my son, he, <laughs> We went to the concession stand and there was a bunch of uh, baseball players working there. And I'm not talking here. I'm talking about a college visit, right? Uh-huh. So we're at a college visit this last weekend and some of the baseball players asked my son if he wanted to uh, party that that night. Mm-hmm. And they was obviously on to something. Yeah, that's so. that's what that's back in the day. That's what it was when you say there's party. 
you know what it was. All right. So that's your life. You're buying and selling and tell me how that goes. Well, you know, I, I was really at the time, I really didn't have to buy drugs because I still was a little bit popular. They would, I would get drugs for free because I was Tom Payne. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would sell them, you know. Basically. Were you using at that point? At that time, really, I was smoking weed, uh-huh. but but I wasn't doing nothing heavier than that at the time. Right. And, you know, and, and then once I started selling and uh, I'm getting the same fame and glory as I had on the field and on the court and all that stuff. So it, it became an addiction within itself. And how long did that last, that addiction? Oh, that, that, Until- that, that addiction lasts for like five or six years before anything really happened. And, you know, then I just, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I'm, you know, after, you you know, eight, 16, about 17, 18 years old, you're making almost a thousand dollars a week by just selling drugs and having drugs for people. I mean, you become addicted to the lifestyle. Tell, tell me how your mom is during this whole situation. At this time, mom was, you know, she really didn't know what was going on because, you know, I was, I was sneaking in and out of the house. And, you know, she had uh, three other kids to really look after. So, you know, I she's was a single old, parent, too. Single right? parent. So she's going to work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where did she work at? Just, she, she was. was uh, she, I mean, what kind of profession? I don't care. Oh, no, she, no, she does. She was like in a she was a professional bartender. Okay. So yeah, she, 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 she's working the bar. Yeah. She's coming home. So her hours are not like consistent with right. raising kids. Right? right. So she's doing the best that she can to raise her kids. She's not necessarily keeping tabs on the day to day because she's. I'm the oldest, the oldest and I'm watching the kids. Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> incapable so, hands. Exactly. You know, little weed smoke, but you know that's all right. All right. So your siblings knew about it then. Well, yeah, they they had seen it. They had seen what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, you was the oldest and you was the biggest, so they didn't tell. You know, and um, and that that's that kind of to this day that hurts me now that I look back upon it of what I was doing to them that I didn't even know because you're their father figure at this point, exactly. Yeah, and they don't have a, a male role model at that point, either. right? Okay, so you're it. I'm I mean, it. You're I'm it. it. I'm it. Right. And you know that's why in sports that's why it hurt me so bad once I got kicked off the team and everything because I was going to be the one I was looking at myself as the meal ticket for my family. Oh, yeah. To make it happen, because mm-hmm. I know I could have went to a good college. I was one of the highly recruited athletes in the state of Ohio, and I knew I was going to get into a good college. And, and you know, I, I think I had a shot at the next level. A couple of my buddies went to the next level that I was friends with, you know, in Middletown. You know, my buddy Chris Carter, when he played, then in uh, Dayton, Keith Byers, you know, we all played against each other. And, and you know, we always. For those that don't know those names, oh, how far did they get? Oh, Chris Carter, he went to, uh, he came out of Middletown, went to Ohio State, uh-huh. uh, played for the Philadelphia uh, Phillies, the Minnesota Vikings. You know, he's in the Football Hall of Fame. Wow. And Keith Byers, he went to Dayton Rolfe. He, um, he went to Ohio State, played for uh, several teams in the NFL. I think he ended up, last team was the New England Patriots. Yeah. He um, retired from the NFL. Wow. And, you know, these was the guys that I was competing against, and I was just neck and neck with them guys. So looking back, obviously there's got to be some pain, some heartburn, some I wish could have, would have, should have. Uh, I wish somebody was there for me. I mean, you're kicking, punching walls. I mean, you got to be upset yeah. looking back. But it took a little while to get there, right? Well, you know, I I couldn't watch college football. I could not watch a college football game for like four or five years because I was like, you know, it hurt me. Yeah. Because I know that I could have been there. Yeah. I I know I could have been on the big stage, and I I know what I could have did, but I didn't have no leadership. 
You know, I had a single mom, you know, working her, working her tail off just to make ends meet. And, you know, didn't have no kind of role model. Mm -hmm. I mean, no kind of male figure in my life that was positive, Mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, I was just felt like I was all alone. And I went into a major depression at that time also. Yeah. Okay. So transitioning here. So your story, single parent, no real support, even from the school. Like, you know, they talk about your coaches being kind of your role models and dads, and it's important to get kids into sports because it helps them. And I agree with that. But in your case, they kind of failed you. Well, they really failed me. So flipping the script here, Miss Amy Brewer has a different story. So from, you know, obviously her career path, she's now the mayor. She'll go on to do even better things, I'm sure. So from this point, looking backwards, tell us a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing. Is it different from Thomas's? Yes, we come from um, a very different background, a very different perspective growing up in a bigger city than Lebanon, growing up in Cincinnati. Um, I am the oldest of four children, um, had both of my parents, um, lived a wonderful, wonderful life. I am the oldest of four. There were four of us in four years so that my, we had a busy family, a very energized family, a very creative family. Father just passed away at the age of 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a wonderful human being. Both my parents, very involved in our lives, very supportive of what we did. My parents, um, as an example, all of my, all of us went to college. Uh, my parents paid for all of our colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked very hard. Uh, my parents were very, very humble, very much community oriented, community service. Uh, my parents were very proud of what I did. Um, we were a very loving family. Um, it was very important. Family was very important to us. Where I went to school, um, I had a teacher, mm-hmm. unlike Thomas, who talked about his some of his experiences. And did you go to public school or private school? I went to private schools. Okay. Um, raised Catholic, mm-hmm. went to Catholic schools all my life until I went to college. Mm-hmm. So I went to a private school and... My teachers were wonderful. A particular teacher that was truly a role model to me was my art teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a nun. And um, I always said that I wanted to be an art teacher just like my art teacher. And what grade were you when you made that decision? Uh, Seventh grade. I was in seventh grade. Um, Again, come from a very creative family. Art, a very important part of my life. Mm -hmm. And um, wanted to teach. So in seventh grade, I knew that's what I wanted to do. That was my career path. Graduated from um, high school and went on um, to Eastern Kentucky University in art education and um, got out of college, um, decided that I wanted to continue my education, Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted um, to expand that art and I actually graduated um, from a college in Virginia mm-hmm. to be a psychiatric art therapist. And when I finished grad school, I went into the private sector, mm-hmm. um, working um, with severely emotionally disabled children and adults in the private sector, um, also did private practice. Um, and spent 17 years in that field 
before I switched over um, to my original major, which was art education, and then taught in the Lebanon school system. So your siblings, so they went on to become what? Are they all uh, high school grads? Um, they all have um, college degrees. So they went on to college. They all went on to college. Okay. And um, one is in New York City. One is in uh, Florida. And a sister in Cincinnati. All of them fairly successful? All very successful. Awesome. All and, very successful. And your dad, he was uh, an inventor? My dad was an inventor of toys, games, mm -hmm. novelties. Uh, he had a very, um, I would say, um, colorful life. Mm -hmm. um, as an example, um, was the halftime entertainment for the original Harlem Globetrotters, sculpted Jane Mansfield, um, went on to produce shows. I saw his uh, work on the Adams family. Tell, yes. Tell us a little did, bit about that. His work on the Adams family. Yes, he was Uncle some of Fester. his uh, Uncle Fester's light bulb, the thing. Uh -huh. um, that would and, reach out and grab you yeah, the grab, hand. Grab, grab the hand. Yeah. And says, those are some of many, many um, inventions that my father So father it had to be created. fun growing up with a toy maker slash novelty maker slash oh, yes, entertainer. It was, yes, yes. So... Whatever ideas that we had, whatever we wanted to do as as kids, my father, of course, as he was, uh, would think out of the box, be creative. We were all, that was all very much encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, I have a brother um, that lives in Manhattan who graduated from uh, the DAP program at University of Cincinnati. He was an um, illustrator, animator, um, art professor um, in New York City. Wow. So uh, I have a sister who was the... Is that a younger uh, brother? That's my uh, brother that we are literally a year apart. Literally so both a year of you apart. went to art, or had, had yes. an inclination for it. My, my sister graduated from the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York, mm -hmm. and was a sous chef at La Maisonette for seven years. Wow. Is, was a culinary instructor and is, now is... Uh, overseas kind of uh, marketing of all of the um, the Oaks programs throughout Cincinnati. Wow. And then another brother in Florida who um, owns many businesses and restaurants and is very much of an entrepreneur and very, very similar in, 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 in ways that my father was. So were, were your parents uh, ones that would tell you, follow your heart, follow your dreams? Oh, you know what? My parents would always say, do what you love, do what your passion is, and you will be successful no matter what that is. Mm -hmm. So do what you love. Do mm -hmm. what you love. And it, and it doesn't matter what that is. Success is not about how much money you make. Um, what you do in particular, do what you love. You will be successful and be a risk taker, be a risk taker. Um, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, don't have anybody tell you you can't do it. Right. And sometimes when you try something, it may not work. That's okay. It may not be what you needed to do. Find something else to do. So that's the kind of, kind of the environment that I, that I grew up in. So a little bit different from Mr. Very Pines. different, very different, <laughs> very different. But at the same time, when you think about, and I always say that, and Thomas and I have had conversations, we've, Thomas and I have many, many, many conversations. And it's really, it's really great because I learned, I, it's, it's, 
his life is is obviously very different than my life. But I do believe this, and I say this with all my heart, is that there are more things that we or all of us have in common that that we don't. Um, I was, I feel very blessed every day to grow up in a lifestyle that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a panacea. It's not without difficulties, challenges. Right. We all have those. But we all come, here we are today, but we've come with such a different perspective, right. such a different background. But sometimes those of us like that truly need to come together to have a better understanding what our stories create a, we'll go with create a vision mm-hmm. of where we are today but a vision of where we could go tomorrow. Almost a theme is if you have the right cheerleaders, if you have the right people telling your story or helping you with your story, the the outcome is different. Uh, right. you, your story is different from hers, and you can very readily see there's a support structure, there's no support structure, even though there was attempted to be in a support structure, just couldn't support you the way you needed it. Right. Uh, my story is a little bit different than both of your stories. And let me get into that real quick just for the listeners. So my background, my uh uh, mom, a single mom without uh, divulging too much of her background, uh, single uh, parent raising three kids. I was often teasing that I was raised by a pack of wild women because, <laughs> because I was <clears throat> not only I had my mom, but my grandma lived with us. Uh, and my, you know, my siblings were my older sister and my younger sister. So I was the only male. Mm-hmm. So I had to go in the Marine Corps to balance all that out. <laughs> 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 but she did the best she could. She worked three jobs. She did, um, you know, everything that she could uh, do uh, to try to support. Was she there all the time? No, because the schedule wouldn't allow it. I knew of my father. I never knew my father. He died when I was, I think, five years old or four years old. And he was shot by the hands of a 13-year-old that that gentleman, my, my real dad, uh, who took advantage of my mom, and my mom could have uh, done the abortion route and all that stuff. She chose not to. But he... Uh, was an alcoholic and they said that he was very pleasant to be around until he got into the alcohol. And then it was a free for all. He'd like to fight. So he was beaten up on his wife uh, that he had done previously uh, many, many times over. So the stepson who was 13 got tired of that and he went in and got a a gun over the mantle and come out with a 22 uh, rifle and shot him in the temple. And he died on the lawn there. That's the story. So then as I do research, when I'm 30 years old, sent one email. This is back when email was not even what it is today. But I remember I was uh, the officer in charge of Cincinnati Security uh, Children's Hospital. And I was down in the command center. And I sent one email to one person about genealogy in the county. And I said, my name is Michael Myers. My dad's name was James Andrew Henson. He uh, died in 74. Um, If you have any information, uh, he died by the hands of a 13-year-old boy named Ernest. If you have any information, you know, just send it to me. So she said, uh, Jimmy, as he he was called, this lady responded. She was like, yes, I knew Jimmy as he was called. I was in the house the year that Ernest shot him. What do you want to know? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) This is the only information I got on my dad. 
So she, through that transcription uh, of that email, she wound up sending me one picture that I have to this day and very, very much spitting image of how I was, you know, at his age when he died. And it was just amazing how God allowed me to even uh, make that contact. But then later I was uh, able to go down to the county and research kind of what happened during that incident talked to the guy that actually picked him up off the lawn you know back then they they brought in the ambulance to pick you up the long you know Mm -hmm. the ghostbusters looking thing and he said he was actually alive on the way to somerset hospital and my prayer is that he you know cried out to the lord to be saved during that time so apparently he was a good dude other than when he started to drink and some of the other life choices so when i was growing up in sixth grade my teacher, who I respected, Mr. Robinson, said, if you don't drink by the time you're uh, uh, 16 years old, the chances go down dramatically and probably you'll never drink. So knowing my dad's history, I made a decision of quality back in sixth grade and I said, I'll, I'll not drink. Peer pressure came in and li- like life does and uh, wine coolers were really popular <laughs> growing, growing up and people asked me, hey, it tastes like Kool-Aid, taste it, taste it. And I almost did, and then I went back to the sixth grade decision, and I passed on it. That was the biggest temptation I had. Mm. So I, 51, 52 now, something like that. But anyway, I have not drank and never will based on that decision because I'm sure I have an evil side too. If I start drinking, you might not want to see that side, right? So I choose not to. So it's amazing how, like – perspective like you base life decisions based on either support or non-support whether you like the influence or you don't like the influence of your life i want to be just like so and so and a lot of people put celebrities up as the role models Mm -hmm. and unfortunately they see them fall and then they're like well i'm gonna change my role model (laughs) yeah yeah so it, it changes your perspective changes so when you get in your career paths you start to follow people that you respected you uh, amy you followed an art teacher that you respected mm-hmm. you started to follow the athletic things because you were competing and then wind up getting kicked out of that so you followed other role models right and then wind up being who you are today exactly so that's kind of a brief cap of where we all are coming from and the next segment i'd like to get into the actual part of helping people and uh, tell that part of uh your outreach and what you're doing with prison to promise and miss amy as you go forward in your career what you plan on doing possibly and how we all are coming together to make people aware aware of a support structure that they too can have so they don't have to have a bad income or bad uh, uh what am i saying bad bad um life experiences they they can have a support either through this type of outreach or through local things that you'll turn them on to, whether it be mental health or different things. But we want to be, uh, and I think I'm speaking for all three of us, we want to be a resource for people that have questions, that they don't have their own cheerleaders, that they feel alone and abandoned out there. Like you said, the invisible Invisible, people walking around, we want to help them. Is that that accurate? Shine the light on the invisible. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for the next podcast with... Thomas Payne and Amy Brewer and Michael Myers. You've been listening to our segment on Prison to Promise.